and we move every couple of years or every couple of months in some cases, and I'd have to make new friends. And it's like dating. It's like, hey, uh, do you have kids or do you work from home? I'm Tori. What's your name? <laughs> so awkward sometimes. Welcome to the Divergent Woman Podcast, where we feature inspiring stories of first-generation women entrepreneurs who have broken barriers and defied the odds. I'm your host, Melissa Minchala. Today, we're speaking with Tori McElwain. Tori started designing quilt patterns and teaching quilting to afford her Starbucks. When she realized how fun and even lucrative it was, she dived right in. Now she's combining her hobby of 20 years quilting with her day job and background as an instructional designer with a master's in education to create the Quilt Patch Course Academy, where she teaches quilt and creative teachers how to turn their crafts into a course. She teaches instructors to develop lucrative, impactful, and creatively styled workshops or courses that keep your students coming back for more. Okay, Tori, how are you today? I am great. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. So quilting, so this is a creative business. So I'm imagining maybe you have a creative background. You do say that you have been quilting for 20 years. I'm wondering if this is something that you may have learned from your grandmother, as so many people tend to do. Or, you know, tell me a little bit about your, your background and what you were doing before you started your business and how you became an entrepreneur, how it all came to be. So I am actually self-taught. I have been influenced by my family. So I was introduced to quilting. Uh, by my grandma, we used to, and I say we a lot because I have a twin. So we used to come over to my grandma's house and we'd make our like sleeping beds, sleepover, I was going to say sleeping bags, but our beds out of quilts. And they're always, they were always handmade quilts from her sisters. And I still remember there was this one pink fuzzy quilt that we would always fight over. And she actually still has that pink fuzzy quilt today. <laughs> she claimed it and it's hers. Um, but from there, my mom got really into quilting when I was around 12 or 13, but I didn't really have too much of an interest in it. Um, a family friend taught us the basics when I was nine. So I made my first quilt with some help when I was nine. I made my first quilt by myself when I was 12. It was a lime green, purple and turquoise rag quilt with faux lime green fur. <laughs> I fell in love with the fur and I had to have it in my quilt, even though my mom was like, I don't know about this, but I did all of it by myself and it was, it was fun, but I wasn't sure if I was ready for the more serious side of like piecing and making sure everything matched up correctly and all that. Um, so I did do a few quilted projects here and there as a teenager. I made another quilt that I fell in love with. And then, so my husband decided he wanted to join the army two weeks after we got married so we ended up moving from California, where we met and where I grew up, to Georgia into a one-bedroom apartment. And if you know anything about the military, we move a lot. And everywhere we move has white walls. Every home, every house that we moved into that had these plain white walls, I wanted to make a colorful quilt to help it feel more like home. So that's when I dived really deep into quilting and I started creating my own patterns for fun. And then the way I got into business, that's a little bit different. I always wanted to be a teacher. I first went to college to be a dance teacher of all things. 
the movement from dance worked its way into my quilting. But yeah, I went to college to then just be a classroom teacher instead of a dance teacher after I realized how much money a dance teacher makes versus how much a teacher could make and um, realized I needed something a little more stable for myself. So that's where I went was into teaching, but I had to put it off because again, military. So we got our first duty station. Oh boy, we were already in for almost a year and we settled first in Texas. So that's where I got my teaching certification at the same time as my master's degree. And then I taught, I was in the classroom for three years, once as a full-time aide and for two years as a kindergarten teacher. And then I had my son and that actually ended up, he was born a week after school had ended and three months later we moved. So it all kind of worked out. Well, so you had to move with a three-month-old. Yes. I've done that twice, once with a three-month-old and once with a two-month-old. So it's definitely interesting to move when they're that little. Luckily, they sleep a lot, at least. But yeah, and then um, after those two years of teaching, I was was really burnt out. And I was very attached to my son because at that point, we had uh, moved. He's, again, three months old. We'd moved to a duty station where we were only there for training. So we were only there for about seven, eight months. And then we moved again. So there was no point in going back to teaching then. So I had you know, I had almost a year with my child to figure out if this is something I want to do full-time. Do I want to try to stay home? Do I want to go back to teaching? And when we moved to our next duty station, and it was this long, but um, yeah, this is, we settled in, the next one was Arizona. And Arizona, the pay for a teacher and the cost of daycare didn't even out well. I wasn't going to make much at all after paying for daycare. So we had decided I would stay home and a few months before that move, we had gone to a Christmas market and it was beautiful, full of homemade items. I'd never been to something like this where everything was handmade. I mean, it had soap, it had fudge, it had baked goods, but it also had quilts and it had toys and like wooden, like whittled toys. And it was the most amazing market I have ever seen. Um, but with handmade items. And I kept seeing quilts just over and over again. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this to kind of support our family because my husband was making just enough to cover everything. So if we had an unexpected expense, if we had wanted to go out for dinner, if we had wanted anything extra, we'd have to save or cut something out in order to, to do anything like that. So I'm like, hey, I can support that part of my family. I can do some fun money, is what we called it, and I can make quilts. So by the time we had moved to Arizona, I had done two or three craft fairs. I had been handmaking quilts and um, baby blankets for a couple of months, and I was making some fun money. And I'm like, okay, Ryan, so that's my husband. <laughs> so we got two options here. I can go back to teaching, and we can make $800 a month after childcare, or I could stay home. We'll save all our money on childcare. I'll teach and make quilts while he sleeps because he was a great sleeper. I was lucky there. And try to make this business bigger because we're also in Arizona. We were really close to Tucson and not too far from Phoenix. So there was always opportunities for me to reach out there. So that's what we decided to do. And luckily that happened because the next, I think, eight months later, COVID hit. So COVID hit. How did that affect you? Or, or was that beneficial? What did COVID do for your business? So COVID actually really helped my business. At that point, I was introduced to a program that taught how to turn your quilting like 
what you're already doing into an actual business. So I'm not only just selling quilts, but if you want to sell those quilts and make it a full-fledged business or, and what I did was pivot. So instead of making these quilts, I pivoted to um, designing and creating my own patterns to sell, which then became an online business. And then I worked on workshops and I had digital courses and I taught at guilds virtually, just like we're talking here. Um, I taught around the country from my little sewing room in Arizona. Um, and it was COVID helped bring technology into people's lives that it wasn't present before, especially because the quilting community has a lot of retired population and they embraced Zoom. And they brought teachers in from all over. So everyone got much more comfortable with teaching this way and learning this way. And it really did give a lot of <laughs> benefits. There was a lot of benefits there um, along with the, the struggles during COVID. Right. So I'm sure people listening are probably wondering the same thing that I'm wondering. What I'm understanding is you you were moving around a lot. You had this career, but I mean, just it was not a career that really traveled well, right? Like you may right. you may earn a certain amount or uh, be able to sustain a certain standard of living in one state and then not at all in another state. So it's not a very reliable career um, and it was not enough to really sustain your business. So you decided to stay home and take this quilting, this love of quilting that you already had and make it into a business. Um, and then I hear you talking about how you were teaching and, and making the patterns. Can you fill us in a little bit in that gap about how you went from no client and idea to teaching people and workshops and, and having clients? Yeah. So I started, do you want to get real technical or just kind of an overview? Let's do a little bit of both. All right. So <laughs> I, so what I did was. So when I walked in this craft fair, I was like, I can do this. And my mind immediately started on how can I make this happen? So the first thing at my fingertips is Facebook. So I made a Facebook group. I called it the Quilt Patch by Tori. And I started posting all the stuff I was creating. And I just started sharing on Instagram, on my personal Instagram. And then I decided I needed a business Instagram because I wanted to blow up Instagram with my quilts. And I couldn't do that with my like my friends who weren't really interested in quilting. Um, but Instagram has a very large quilting community. So I was already following quilters. So all I did was move um, who I was following over to Instagram. And I started modeling after what they did. And it started bringing people in. Um, they were just interested in what I was creating. They, um, a lot of them were looking for gifts for especially babies. And my, um, at this point I was 26, 27 and all of my friends were having kids or having their second kids or their friends were having kids. So it was a great time to introduce baby blankets and memory quilts. So that's where a lot of orders started coming in was for baby blankets, memory quilts. And then I would mix in some rag quilts, which are some of my favorite because they have some texture on them. And then um, some patchwork quilts that were just pretty fabric put into squares. Like they were just squares. I could make a quilt top in an hour, have it quilted at my local store. Um, I would go in and rent a long arm, which is a giant 12 foot machine. <laughs> yeah, I go in and I'd rent the machine. I quilt a quilt or two or three, depending on how much time I had. And I have a finished quilt in a couple of days. I turn it around and sell that on my Facebook group, especially around uh, Christmas time was a big one too. So they were looking for gifts and homemade gifts and they would ask for custom quilts and it 
started to become overwhelming to the point where I couldn't keep up with the demand. During COVID, fabric was so hard to find. But yeah, that's where I started was a Facebook group. And I brought everybody in. I made an album, put some pricing on there, and they would either private message me that they wanted that quilt or they would um, comment underneath it. And then I did a little bit of Etsy, but Etsy took so much off the top that it wasn't it wasn't worth it for handmade stuff. Um, and then craft fairs. So I joined any local craft fair I can find. The local farmer's market had a craft day of the month. So they had a craft a farmer's market every week, but you come for crafts on one of those weeks out of the month. So yeah, so I signed up for that. So any opportunity I had, I would sign up. I started with flyers. I had a little book of um, inspiration is what I called it. So I had all my custom in there so they could come in and look at all the custom quilts I made and get, get different ideas. Okay, so I'm hearing two things here. Um, and if you've ever heard Tony Robbins talk, he says a lot, success leaves clues, right? So I, when I heard you say that you started modeling what a lot of the quilters that you were following were doing, uh, that's I think that's a very smart thing to do, right? Just kind of take, don't reinvent the wheel, right? Mm -hmm. not, not necessary to reinvent the wheel. If something's already working within your niche, within your industry, then take that model and use it in your own business. The other thing that I'm hearing is that you're very confident. Like I don't hear not a skosh of, I didn't know if mine were good enough. I didn't know if they were pretty enough. It was no, I went there, I made these baby quilts and they were great. And I made these mem everything. And that's really what I love to hear. People who are very confident in the service and the product that they put out because it it really it comes out in the quality and it's reflected in how you market it and people are drawn to that i find mm -hmm. um and judging from what you're telling me about you being overwhelmed with orders i think that seems to be your your experience and i'm hearing you talk about it there's an obvious passion for what you're doing and you you talk about it so effortlessly um, and there's not even a moment of doubt or a moment of anything. And I, I absolutely love that. I'm so glad because there was a lot of doubt working up to that. It was. <laughs> so tell me about that. Yeah, I was. Uh, so I did mention I was self-taught. I never actually got to that. But <laughs> I taught myself at the point between books and YouTube. <laughs> so I, when I first made my first few quilts as a, um, when I was 12, when I was a teenager, my mom and her teaching style and my learning style didn't really mix. So she kind of uh, led me kind of like, I think you should do this. So go try it. And so that's how I kind of embraced quilting was I'm going to try it. And with my background in teaching education, um, even with the masters, it went over best ways to learn. And, you know, one of the best ways you can learn is not only to make mistakes and make a lot of them, but also to keep trying something new and, and, you know, the number one way is to teach somebody else. So I would bring my sister in with me and be like, hey, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to paper piece. I need you to just watch what I'm doing and tell me if this makes sense. Because um, paper piecing is upside down and backwards because you're working with a mirror image that you're looking at. And as soon as you get it, it's like, oh, I got it. But like, it takes a minute. Um, well, at least for me, it took me a minute. Um, but I was, I practiced, I got um, muslin. If any sewers are out there who want something cheap and easy, uh, the big retail stores always have great sales on flannel near um, Thanksgiving, right before Black Friday. 
sometimes after Christmas. Um, I got my design wall behind me. It's four yards of white flannel. I got it for $2 a yard. So uh, keep look out for those. And muslin is also great practice fabric. So if you want practice fabric, that's what I went and grabbed. And it's been great. <laughs> so it took you a little while to to kind of learn. But the thing is, is that, you know, like you said, you kept going at it, right? Because you had this sort of desire to know more and and passion to know more. Maybe motivation was definitely not an obstacle for you. I will say that. But did you have any challenges along the way? Or what were some of the challenges that you did face that were maybe a little bit more difficult for you to overcome? And how did you how did you deal with them? My biggest challenge was probably tech at first, um, just understanding not only terminology, but how to improve the experience virtually. One of the first things I bought was a camera, um, what I thought was a really good web camera. It was ended up being fishbowl. <laughs> the first recorded lessons I did, I had a fishbowl like view of my entire sewing room. And I was like, I don't think this is going to work. But I rolled with it, and the first launch of my very first workshop, it went great, even if the fishbowl effect was kind of off-putting for me personally. They loved the, the, the class we did, and they were very excited to move forward. Um, but yeah, I just improved from there, one step at a time, just from, especially with tech. It was just, what do I need now? Like, I'm trying to work on my computer. I have to walk across the thing and change slides. Let me get a mouse. A wireless mouse you know just something like that and how do i make it how do i make zoom efficient and not skipping well i got a hardwire okay well how do i hardwire this doesn't have a jack and then i had to oh there's an adapter adapter that's what it's called it's just kind of worked my way up from there right right and what what do they say um fall seven times but get up eight mm -hmm. right it's in that vein um were there any marketing things that you tried that just did not work out for you oh yeah one pattern in particular flopped completely and I, it was my second pattern. And right now it's one of my most popular. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't think, well, I really didn't know what I was doing at first. I was experimenting, which is what I would always encourage anyone starting with marketing to do is model after someone that you're enjoying watching and following and just experiment and see what works for you. And there's more that can go into that. But uh, with that second pattern, I didn't really lead too much into it. I was kind of embarrassed by the stars because I had a really hard time with the center. I wanted a diamond in the center of my stars and the diamond kept floating and I didn't know why. And the math wasn't working. And my pattern testers, I had three at the time and they were so frustrated with the stars. And I'm like, I know I'm so sorry. I'm trying to figure this out. And um, they helped me through it. They were amazing. And, um, but the marketing, I think that's why that marketing kind of flopped was because I didn't talk about it much. I didn't share about it much. And then when I launched it, expecting some orders, it was crickets. So it goes back to that confidence. You didn't have the confidence in this one because of the floating diamond. Yes. So it wasn't reflected in the marketing. And if you're not excited about it, can't get people excited about it, and then no one's going to buy. But so now it's your, you said it's your, it's your second most best-selling or what's changed? Have you figured out the diamond math and then now you talk about it more or people are seeing it and are just really falling in love with it? Um, they're seeing it. I'm doing many more guild presentations. I mentioned movement and quilting has been my, my first quilt 
program that I made for guilds and it is my IP and I was so excited about it, but that one has gotten so popular that it's the only one requested right now from different guilds is my movement quilting. So the more they saw it, the more I explained the design behind it because it's modeled after, uh, at least the second version was modeled after the Northern Lights. So it's got this beautiful ombre fabric that fades from light to dark um, and it's the same colors as the Northern Lights. So it's green, purple, and large blocks of color that fade from one to the other with the stars twinkled in, in between. And once people hear the story, they fall in love with the quilt. And um, going back to marketing, that's one thing I've started to embrace more is storytelling and really seeing that because you hear the stories are so powerful, but it's hard to figure out where to put them or how to use them. Um, so that's one story that I share every once in a while whenever I have that quilt. Uh, always around the holidays, I bring out all my patterns a couple days at a time and just kind of recycle through. Hey, this is this pattern. This one I love making. It was the when my husband was in Afghanistan. <laughs> And I asked him where he wanted to go and he got home and he told me he wanted to go somewhere cold with not a lot of people. So we went to the Northern Lights in, in Alaska. We went to the Arctic Circle and this quilt was based off of that experience. And people were like, oh, it's beautiful. And then my pattern became much more popular just with sharing that story and the inspiration. Right. So humans, we started telling stories almost as, as soon as we figured out how to start talking. That's how we communicated from the very beginning. And we were leaving stories behind as paintings on the caves. And that's the best way to kind of imprint ourselves in other people's minds and hearts is through stories. Uh, but I, I got to say, just describing to me the colors and of the Northern Lights, and I got very excited for that quote myself. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, you keep mentioning movement in quilting. What is that? Well, quilts don't actually move, right? <laughs> so movement and quilting is all about how your eye travels around a design. So where your eye is pulled, if it is pulled from the center out, for example, the one behind me, mirror, mirror, it's reflecting the two colors. So it's a two color quilt. You've got really bright white and a dark green. It's a Christmas fabric. So it's got really dark, deep green. And the contrast creates a mirror effect and it creates this really fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, it does. It is. And it, yeah, your eye goes right to it. And your eye does this up, down, up, down movement following the triangles. Yeah, it's fascinating. So do you prefer teaching over the hand quilting or do you um, miss the hand quilting? Tell me a little bit about that and, and the pivot that you sort of made. Yeah, so um, you touched on a couple different pivots. So I know it's kind of nuanced there, but creating quilts, it didn't, it wasn't as lucrative as I wanted it to be. It was a lot of work to create a quilt. I know I said that I could take a quilt and make it over a couple of days, but by the time my son was done napping at two, because <laughs> he was a great napper until he turned two. Um, but when he turned two, I lost all of my free time. So I had no time to create these quilts and these um, baby blanket custom wars that were coming in. So I decided that uh, with the cost of fabric and all the other things that are happening with Etsy taking so much off the top with all the things that were happening and this idea of pivoting to a more sustainable, scalable business of pattern selling. That's where, that's when I made that, that shift was I need more money to help my family. We were going through a lot of um, like broken things at one point. And I was like, this isn't working. I need to pivot and, and make some more money than what I'm making currently to help our family. 
Um, so that's when I pivoted. I took a, a course, which inspired me, and she helped us lay the basics of like an email list. And um, I built my website during that time. I built it in a month from Wix. And I know we kind of talked about that a little bit on off camera. But I used Wix, so it was user friendly. And I made some basic pages and I got my stuff on there. And again, with that tech, I just did one step at a time. And then um, I started introducing courses and First I taught one-on-one -on -one while I was still making custom quilts. And then I started teaching at my local shop, which Emily from So Easy Sewing in Arizona has been an amazing influence. And she's the one who let me come in and rent the long arm whenever I wanted. And I came in, I taught almost weekly at her store um, from beginners to intermediate classes to a couple patterns here or there. Um, I, I also taught someone else's IP where I taught um, color theory so I took their theory and I was able to introduce more workshops as I built my own, like the movement and quilting. And then I started building more confidence in my own courses and workshops with the more students I got, the more feedback I got. And then I created an entire program of block of the month. And I realized that I loved the community aspect of it, but I wasn't great at the follow through with the community that comes with the skill building block of the month. So that was something I realized. And what I saw within these circles, so I'm up here with all these teachers and uh, pattern designers, and I'm not like a top pattern designer, but I am in their circle and I'm watching them. And again, as you pointed out, the theme where I like to see who's right above me. And I try to see how do I get where she is? Typically there is she. <laughs> how do I get there? Um, and I'm studying them and how they're working. And I'm realizing there's this need of pattern designers and workshop instructors that don't know how to take the quilts, the beautiful skills that they have in creative endeavors and those who want to take it and teach, they don't know how to bridge that gap or they're struggling and they give up. And that's when I did my last pivot, which is my most recent pivot, which is something that I always love to do, which is teach, but I wanna, I'm pivoting towards teaching the teacher. So I'm pivoting to that Quilt Patch Course Academy where I'm teaching crafters and quilters how to turn their craft into a course. And then a community, which we're launching actually, I think like this, I think this week we are launching. So I'm not thinking it's this week we are launching. Exciting. Exciting. I, I, and those are sub, that community is to support the digital marketing, marketing aspect of those instructors and pattern designers. So if they already have a class, if they already have a workshop, this community is to help them get the word out and get their students in their workshops. Because um, I've had a steady flow of students from almost the beginning. The beginning was great. And then I had like a dip and that's where I had to learn a lot of marketing. And then I was continuously getting new students coming in and new guild opportunities and things like that, just by using some basic marketing techniques that so many are missing, those foundational things. So I got really passionate about helping these creators. They are, they're older or they're stay at home moms like me. There's like two groups and one is looking at retirement. Like my mom, she's looking at retirement and losing most of her income. And she wants to know how she can build that up. And then there's another side, which is where I came from as the stay at home mom who wants to be with her kids, who has creative endeavors and could make some money with just workshops on the side. And I'm like, I'm, I'm getting really like emotional, but like, that's where the need, I saw the need and I'm like, I can help you figure this out. Like, let's do this together and get you a thing of your own for those who are stay at home moms and to help those looking towards retirement, build a flexible income. 
create an impact, build a community. So they have a community because, you know, when you're working, you lose that community when you when you leave. Like I did when I was a military spouse, I had an amazing teaching community. Like the teachers I worked with at Fort Hood were amazing. They were so supportive. And then when I left, <laughs> there's only so much we can follow and stay in touch. And teaching is so overwhelming for them. Like there's no way we can like keep the rapport going. And then so that's that's where that pivot came from. It was that that passionate feeling I had that I need to help them. <laughs> I want to help them. Like I want I want to support them and rise them up. Right. So there's a couple of things here, a few things here. The, the first thing, um, and one of these one of the common traits that I'm hearing from a lot of women that I'm talking to is adaptability. Right. And so it's that that ability to say, I've started this journey and I thought I was going to do this and this is good, but I feel it's still not quite right or it's not a fit for me. So I'm going to move and I'm going to adapt and I'm going to go this way or for whatever reason, the circumstances are not right for me at the moment. And so I'm going to adapt now. I'm going to take a look at, you know, what my options are. And like you said, what are the gaps that I can fill, which again, very savvy, very savvy to to do, um, and then fill those gaps with the skills that you have and the desire you have to serve that community in that that place. Um, and that ultimately, I think, is really a recipe for success. So the other thing, well, it's adaptability, and then it was that desire to serve, right? So it's it's that that passion to be of assistance to help people who you may relate to because you have come from where they are or it's someone who you really care for um, and you you're doing those two things right because you're coming from being uh, a, a mom of little kids and wanting to stay with them but also pursue your creative endeavors and you also you see your mom in this position that you want to help her on and so that that desire and you, you said it was making you emotional but i think that's great because that emotion drives you even further to really serve with passion and that leads to to great things and so the other the last thing that i wanted to touch on is you said something very interesting and and so you said that when you leave the professional community, like you said, you left um, the teaching community when you moved, but then just when you're leaving the, the professional environment, nine to five, whether you're moving or just you've decided that you are going to um, start your own business, you know, entrepreneurship can be an isolating, sometimes lonely experience because you don't have colleagues anymore when you are the one employee. You don't have a boss. You don't have anyone to sort of seek advice from or seek permission from. Now you're the one giving yourself permission. You don't know whether you should. So that can be kind of isolating. Uh, is that something that you experienced as a as a new business owner? Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, I was very. I started to get really lonely, which is one reason why I shifted one of those pivots into um, pattern design because there was a community there and I knew I could get support and I have questions or um, like getting into a distributor can be pretty difficult. So that it was great to have some support, some ideas on how to get into a distributor. I, I kind of equate it to in my head, just this is coming up just from my memories, but leaving high school, like everybody has a high school. And typically we're with our high school for a couple of years or longer. I grew up in the same place for 19 years. So my 
I had friends from kindergarten to high school. I was lucky that way. And um, leaving that environment and going to a completely different place, um, it feels the same as leaving that structure that we had as a teaching community. Like it felt the same. I was isolating. I had no idea how to make new friends. You think I'd get better at it as a military spouse. You know, we move every couple of years or every couple of months in some cases, and I'd have to make new friends. And it's like dating. It's like, hey, uh, do you have kids? Or do you work from home? I'm Tori. What's your name? <laughs> so awkward sometimes. And I'm I'm an introvert, so it's not easy for me to put myself out there. But I, I always try and I try to find that community wherever I go. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it is important. And a lot of women that I've spoken to so far have said the same thing, that it's important to really find your community so that you have somewhere to seek that support when you're feeling, you know, sometimes you, you, it, it, when you do have something that doesn't succeed the way you wanted it to, um, it, just so that you're not sitting alone in that momentary misery. And also so that when, when, when you have a great idea and you want to pass it by somebody, it's great to have that community. It's important to have that community. So where do you see your business going now in the future? So in the future, I am hoping to continue pattern writing because it is a great creative expression for me. But my main business is going to be around the Quilt Patch Course Academy and that community follow-up. So it doesn't have a name yet. Um, however, it is I'm doing something a little bit different than I normally do. And um, you could take this as an experiment as well. But I am, this week, I have been introducing this idea, this vision of a community that I have. And I have a framework exactly of what we're going to follow, a roadmap. But the action steps are something that I'd like to get feedback on from my actual audience. So I'm introducing this framework, this idea, this vision, and the basic things they're going to get through it, but they're going to help me build this community and what they want to see in a digital marketing um, support community, which includes collaboration. It includes um, what I'm calling strategy sessions. So one of my favorite things is talking about strategy, uh, making a plan for where you want to go. I love that part of it. And I realized there's a lot of creatives that need that structure to help move them forward and help keep them accountable. Um, so that's one thing that's going to be in there. And then, our, of course, our community for support and then those action steps of there is five steps here um, of getting to a place where you are creating your marketing is coming much easier. You have a flow. You have um, a strategy in place. So it's nice and easy to move through that strategy and continuously get new people coming into your email list and then eventually coming into your workshops. And so that is my focus. And that's where I see my future going. It's scalable, it's sustainable. And I'm hopefully going to reach a lot of people and help a lot of people. So I have a question. Are most or all of your students nationwide or do you have international students as well? I've had a few international students. I've had an Australian student and I've had um, a couple Canadian students. I mean, it's been, it's been really fun to welcome them. Yeah. Great. So you have plans. I love a woman with a plan. And I'm excited for your group that's opening up. So as you look back on your journey as a first generation woman entrepreneur, what advice would you give to those that are just starting out on their journey? And we did touch on it, I will say, but my biggest motivation and what helped me the most as a brand new entrepreneur, as you said, especially because nobody in my family had a business before me again, just kind of reiterating what you're saying, but 
I really found inspiration to look not at the people who are five steps above me, but looking at the people who are right above me. Um, so I found them on Instagram, just seeing their pictures of quilts and knowing that they're seeing their pattern designer and just watching what they're doing and seeing like, I want to be like this person. Um, and I see people who I don't really relate to and I'm like, okay, I don't really want to be that person. So I'm going to focus and, and watch this person, see what they're doing, learn more about what I want to do and kind of model myself after that. And then a little more practically just figuring out the next step. Cause one thing, just starting a business, the vocabulary is confusing and trying to figure out the legal stuff is confusing. So just taking that yeah, use Google, it's your best friend. <laughs> Take that one step at a time. What the what is a EIN number or whatever that is? And just Googling it every step of the way. Just have Google open and just take the next step and just build that business one little step at a time. Don't look at people who are five steps ahead yet. Just look at the ones that are right above you. Like Tony Robbins says, you know, success leaves clues. And so as you did, find those that are doing as you want to do and just copy those. Yeah. You know, we were taught our entire lives, you know, don't cheat on the test. Yeah. But then it turns out that's exactly what we're supposed to do in life is cheat on the test. And embrace the mistakes. So we're also taught we can't be imperfect. We can't make mistakes. Yes, you can. We're human. And that is, again, the best way we can learn other than teaching someone <laughs> to make those mistakes. Right. Make the mistakes and don't be afraid of don't be afraid of failure. If you fail, that's just another set of lessons. So, Tari, do you have anything, any offers that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I do have a book coming out for creative and quilters, um, how to design your own workshops. And that's coming out in September. Oh, wow. Um, so I'd love to offer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited about it. I'm turning my course into a book and I'm, it's going to be amazing. Uh, but I'd love to offer your audience a coupon for 15% off. All right, so we'll put that in the show notes and maybe I can figure out how to put it on on my site. So we have just, just keep it there for you, another place to keep it. And anything else? I also have the Quilt Patch Course Academy. The next launch is gonna be in October. Ah, so great. So that's just in time for a nice fall quilt. Yes, That'll exactly. be perfect. You know, I almost wanna start quilting now. I gotta tell you. <laughs> I, I did learn to sew when my first daughter was born. I bought a sewing machine and I bought a bunch of patterns and really I just followed the instructions and I was able to sew some pretty neat stuff for my baby. So much so that I, I still carry her picture around from when she, it was her second Christmas. I made this beautiful satin gown for her. People think I carry the picture around because I'm so proud of my daughter. No, she's 23 now. I'm carrying the picture around because that gown was beautiful. I love it. <laughs> So I'm really looking forward to your book because I want to see uh, what's in there. And that sky quilt just sounds gorgeous to me. It sounds gorgeous. So I may look into that as well. Oh, I'll send you pictures. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tori, for joining us. Where can our audience find you? Um, the best place is going to be a sign up for my newsletter on my website at thequiltpatchbytori.com. Otherwise, I'm most active on Instagram at at quilt underscore patch. Got it. Quilt underscore patch. All right. So we will see you there and catch us next time on Divergent Woman. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divergent Women. We hope you find inspiration, motivation, and a renewed sense of empowerment as we explore the incredible journeys of our guests. These remarkable first-generation women entrepreneurs show us what it means to break the mold, defy expectations, and create businesses that make a lasting impact. We invite you to continue on this journey with us as we bring you more captivating stories of resilience, determination, and triumph. Stay tuned for future episodes where we delve deeper into the challenges and triumphs faced by women in entrepreneurship, providing valuable insights, practical advice, and a supportive community. Remember, you're not alone on this path. Divergent Women is here to celebrate your uniqueness, embrace your ambitions, and empower you to navigate the entrepreneurial world with confidence and grace. Together, we can rewrite the narrative, shatter glass ceilings, and inspire a new generation of trailblazing women. Make sure to subscribe to Divergent Women on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would greatly appreciate your support by leaving us a review and sharing this podcast with fellow entrepreneurs and aspiring business owners. Until next time, keep embracing your uniqueness, chasing your dreams, and making waves in the world. This is Melissa Minchala signing off from Divergent Women. Stay fierce, stay fearless, and keep breaking those barriers.